Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. God, our helper, show us your ways and teach us your paths. By your Holy Spirit, open our minds that we may be led in your truth. Pour into our hearts the power of your grace so that we can find the courage to be faithful through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Scripture this morning from Genesis 17, 1 through 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai, walk with me and be trustworthy. I will make a covenant between us and I will give you many, many descendants. Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, but me, my covenant is with you. You will be the ancestor of many nations. And because I have made you the ancestor of many nations, your name will no longer be Abram, but Abraham. I will make you very fertile. I will produce nations from you and kings will come from you. I will set up my covenant with you and your descendants after you in every generation as an enduring covenant. I will be your God and your descendants God after you. I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are immigrants, the whole land of Canaan as an enduring possession and I will be their God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name, or if thou wilt not be but sworn my love, and I'll no longer be a Capulet. Tis but thy name that is my enemy. Thou art thyself, though not Montague. What's Montague? It is nor hand, nor foot, nor arm, nor face, nor any other part belonging to a man. Oh, be some other name. What's, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So Romeo would were he not Romeo called. Retain that dear perfection which he owes without that title. Romeo, doff thy name. And for that name which is no part of thee, take all myself. This morning, I think we should consider that question. What's in a name? Really, what is in a name? From Kesha to Chad Ochocinco to Sean Diddy Combs, Flea, Sting, Cher, Seal, Bono, Jay-Z, Ludacris, and to Prince. Names are perhaps more flexible and iconic than we think of on a day-to-day -day basis. Shakespeare made famous two house names. Capulet and Montague. In the hills of Kentucky, you have the Hatfields and the McCoys. Famous names, famous families. What's in a name? Names are powerful. To consider what is in a name is to consider the context in which that name arises. The name Napoleon means something different today now than it did 100 years before the Napoleon. His actions, his demeanor, his quest changed the whole understanding and meaning of his names. And speaking of names, 
Do you know what one of the most popular names was during Jesus' time? It was Judas. Judas was the Bill, the Tom, the Harry of Jesus' day and age. There were Judases everywhere. Fast forward a couple, well, millennia later, and I don't know too many Judases today. (laughs) No one names their child Judas. Names are powerful. What's in a name? Names give you a glimpse into the future and destiny of the person who holds the name. No one names their child unfortunate. (laughs) No one names their child ill-fated or someone who will lose all their money in a Ponzi scheme. No, no, no one names their children these things. We name our children beloved, joy, child of God, strong, courageous. Let's consider the names of the characters in the popular movie franchise, Star Wars. Han Solo. The name tells you exactly who the character is. He's out for himself. He acts according to his own uh, wishes and his own moral compass. He lives by his own rules, so on and so forth. Darth Vader. Darth, as in dark, resembling dark, and Vader, a play on the German word Vata, meaning father. This name reveals something about the character, does it not? Something about his origin, something about his destiny. It's interesting that even Darth Vader during the series undergoes a name change. Perhaps kind of culminating in who the character is, who the character is becoming. Names are powerful. Names give you a glimpse into the future of the person who holds the name. In our text today, we heard from the author of Genesis. And because I have made you the ancestor of many nations, your name will no longer be Abram, but Abraham. Now, there is very little consensus on what is, go- is happening here. Scholars will do what scholars will do and argue back and forth about the etymology of this particular name and, and the source that the name comes from. Does it come from the Yahwist or the Elohist or the priestly documents? Uh, really, it's just fascinating stuff. And if you're having trouble sleeping, I encourage you to read about it. <laughs> so they want to debate about all those details, but I don't care about those details. I don't. Not interested in those. What I am interested in, though, is why in the world does God change Abram and Sarai's name? What does it teach us about God? And what does it teach us about ourselves? Abram, if we recall our Sunday school stories, was a nobody. Well, perhaps that's a bit harsh. He, he was a nobody of significance, we could say. He came from no great house, no great name. He had no great vast lands, no great vast wealth. He worshipped some regional pagan cult god uh, in the modern-day area of Iraq called Ur. Uh, yeah, the guttural sound you heard me make, Ur, is how you pronounce the name of the city. It's a beautiful name, but what's in a name? It doesn't really matter. Uh, Ur is where it all begins. Abram hears God and responds willingly, leaving behind his whole social support, his family home, his reputation, and he he ventures off into the reaches of the known world. And Abram's story is much like our own, isn't it? We think we have it figured out, we're settled, good to go then, and then God shows up and, and messes with our plans. So this is the first time in recorded history where God makes explicit covenant with someone and where God binds God's self to the covenant. As we discuss Abraham's story, we can't help but talk about the ancient world, the context in which Abraham finds himself. So in Abraham's world where there were these regional gods, lowercase g, you might have heard of one of these regional gods, Baal, 
Um, you would uh, have interaction with these regional gods, but they would never bind themselves to a human for the human's uh, betterment. They would never bind themselves to a human for the human's flourishing. That's what's a little different about this god, Big G. This god is a covenanting god. This god inconveniences God's self so that humanity may flourish. This is a very different God. This is a good God, and this is a powerful God. In fact, that is how Abraham refers to God. He refers to God as God the Powerful. And God has many names in the Bible. We have Elohim, Elion, El Roy, El Deah, El Shaddai. El Shaddai is how we just heard a moment ago how Abraham refers to God. The most common name in the Old Testament, how God is referred to, is Elohim, which means, yes, plural, gods or magistrates. So I'm not sure exactly what's going on there. But catch this. Even God's name changes based on who he is talking with and who he is covenanting with. Abraham refers to God in our passage as El Shaddai, God Almighty. That is how Abraham knows God. How Abraham knows God as a mighty God. And it's most appropriate, we could say, considering the promises that this God has given Abraham. He and his wife are going to be the genesis of nations, of kings. And they are up in age, to, to be kind about it. When we encounter Abraham in our passage, he is 99 years old. He has a son, but it's not from his first wife, Sarai, whom God also covenants with. It is with Hagar. Hagar. A Hagar by any other name. It would sound just, just as beautiful, maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> Abram has waited for years for God. God the powerful to come through on God's end of the bargain. But really, why the name change? It's pretty subtle. Just lengthening the ah sound. We have Abram and Abraham, just changing that vowel a little bit. But the implications here are fascinating. Abram, his original name means exalted father or exalted ancestor, or roughly translated, father God is lofty or father God is high. Whereas Abraham, ever so slightly, changes the focus of the name. It changes it from God is the Father, or God is the Lofty One, or God is the Exalted Ancestor, to Abraham is the Father. Abraham is the Father of the Faithful. Abraham is the Father of a multitude. So the name changes because Abraham's identity is about to be changed. The name changes because of the ancient world names are intrinsically tied to destinies and identities because names are powerful. God is giving Abraham a new identity. God is giving Sarah a new identity. God is renaming him and God is renaming her. How many of us live our lives our way? Building our identity, building our names, building our image up for one thing. Retirement, <laughs> the corner office, getting out of debt the sports car, the fame, the recognition, some status symbol, maybe, some artificial monetary amount in the bank, some piece of paper with a degree on it. Whatever it is, we build our lives around it, and when we achieve it, well, we kick back, sit back, enjoy the show. 
Abraham and Sarah have done this very thing, right? They've worked hard. Children weren't necessarily in the cards, but Abraham and Sarah have worked their entire lives. I mean, they're in their 70s when they first hear God. They're in their 90s when we pick back up in chapter 17. Like, he's pulling Social Security, (laughs) y'all. He is a loyal member of AARP, right? He's retired. He is retired, for heaven's sake. He's done with this. This whole start over business, this renaming business, it's for the young chickens. It's for the young folk, not for me. And God grabs Abraham and Sarah and says, sorry, kiddos, we ain't done yet. Because you don't retire, you refire. It isn't Abraham's new identity. It isn't Sarah's new identity. Because God changes their names. That they're given a new mission. What we often miss when we read these passages about Abraham is that the blessing, the covenant that God makes with Abraham and Sarah is not just for them. It is so that they can go and bless others. There are missional implications to their renaming to this new identity. It's not just for them. We have to be open to take on a new identity. We have to be open to a new name because if we aren't, if we're closed off to the idea, the stakes, they're pretty high. Imagine if I only found my identity in what I produced. Imagine if I only found my identity in the amount of money I earned. Imagine if you only found your identity in who you worked for. Imagine if you only found your identity in the car you drove. The clothing you wore, the last vacation you took, how many friends you had on Facebook, how many followers you had on Instagram. God offers us a new name. God offers us a new identity. God offers me a new name, a new identity. I'm not just Josh. I'm not just a pastor. I'm not just a father. You're not what you produce. You're not the position at your company. You are a new creation. If any of you are in Christ, That person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone, and look, new things have arrived. You are a child of God. And you are made in God's image. Your identity is found not in the earthly things. No, your identity is found in your new name. And your new name is found in Christ. So I can only speak for myself this morning. I find that it's only when... I relinquish control when I say, God, I want you to be Lord of my life. It is then and only then that God has the opportunity to use me. Because I think that that is our chief challenge in life. Relinquishing control. Relinquishing your name and relinquishing your identity. Saying, okay, God, do with me what you will. I'm willing. I give you my identity. I give you my name. Renovate me. Change me. Rename me so I can find my new identity in you and that I can serve you. I think it is then and only then that we find freedom and true freedom. We have to be open to taking on a new identity. We have to be open to being renamed by our creator. So it is God himself who changes the identity and focus for Abraham. It's not Abraham sort of willing it by some sort of humanistic power. No, 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 no. What's happening here? This is God's grace. And this is God's work at life, at the, in the life of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham's name meant one thing. His destiny was one thing. 
His plan was one thing. In God's name for Abraham, well, it just means something else. His destiny is something else, and his plan is something else. For God's covenant to take root in Abraham's life, God sees fit to change his name. To breathe new life into this old man, God changes his name, changes his identity. To bring forth fruit from barrenness, God changes her name, changes her identity. To bless and enrich and start over afresh, God changes their name, and God changes our names. I wonder today what needs new life. What needs a new name? What needs new fruit? What needs enriched? What needs a fresh start? Where in our lives do we need God to reach in and say to this old junk, I'm going to transform it into something beautiful. I'm going to breathe new life into this and give it a new identity. May we be open to the work God is doing in each and every one of our lives. May we have the courage to take on the new identity and name God has for us. And may we help others find their identity and name in God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.